No more, but you pray for our time in the Word. Father God, thank you so much again for this new day. Thank you, Father, that she has decided that no one should perish, but that they will come to repentance, Father God. She desire, Father God, that we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, Father. So we are so thankful, Father God, that we can come together as a family in Christ, as a brothers and sister, and and hear from you, Father God, from the throne, the throne of grace, Father. Thank <coughs> Jesus, that we would obey every single thing that you said said to us, Father God, that we will be obedient to your leading. God, I pray that we would not be just here of the world, God, but just doers, Father. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give my brother wisdom and discernment and everything that he's going to speak, Father God, today will be lived by you, Father. So we thank you for what you already have planted in his heart to share with us, Father. So, Lord, we pray not only for him, but we pray for every single pastor that is going to be leading uh their service today, Father God, that you will bless them, you protect them, that they will speak only truth and the truth, God, in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Closer to the end, I am the one. Turn the blind eyes in the days of silence. Had to change directions from where I was blind. Had to admit that it was a crime.
sometimes you gotta know What?
You give us the understanding, Father, that we must be born again. Of a new nature. That all who come would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That those who would call upon your name, Lord Jesus, would be saved. Father, that it's not just holding a form of religion, but Father, it is an intimate relationship with our Creator. That God, you so love the world that you gave your one and only Son, that whoever would believe in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That you have brought us out of darkness, from the depths of darkness, into your marvelous light. Oh God, for those who are in Christ, how can we hold on to the good news for just for ourselves, God? No, Father, we are to tell others, we are to announce it to others that there is hope to a dying world. God, would you break our heart for what breaks yours? Father, would you equip us? Would you increase our faith? Would you give us a greater level of of discernment, a greater level of hunger and thirst for righteousness for your name's sake, God, that we would be effective laborers in the end-time harvest? Jesus, you are returning. The signs are appearing everywhere. And at any moment, Father, in the blink of an eye, you can return and gather your bride. But Father, I thank you that you are patient and that it is your desire that none should perish. But you're constantly giving the created that's in rebellion towards you the opportunity to know you, to call upon your name, Jesus, and to be saved. So, Father, I pray, God, as we gather this morning, Father, as we open up your word, God, that as we've heard it in our prayer time, Father, this phrase that our hearts would be pierced, and that repentance, genuine repentance, Father, would come forth. Awaken us, Lord, I pray, to the urgency of the hour of today. Encourage your people, Father, that they may be able to stand and to stand there for them. And for those, God, who may just be holding on to a form of religion, God, to those who may not even know you, Lord, Father, may today be the day of salvation. May they be able to declare today that you've brought them out of the depths of darkness and into your marvelous light. And may their life then begin, Father, to be one that brings glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Application is a word that I want to hold before us. And so it's sustained effort, hard work. It comes from the root word apply. But the definition to apply is to give one's full attention to a task to work hard. Application. To apply. 
The degree in which we study, memorize, and meditate on God's Word is the degree to which we understand how it applies to our lives. But understanding how the Word applies is not enough. We must actually apply it. Application implies action. And obedient action is the final step in causing God's Word to come alive in our lives. The application of Scripture enforces and further enlightens our study, and it also serves to sharpen our discernment, helping us to distinguish between good and evil. For the world to know their love through sacrifice. For the church to leave the room and testify. For the streets to flow with justice changing lives. It's all in Jesus' name. It's in Jesus' name that we come alive. And that last phrase, sentence that I read to you is from the song that we open up our prayer time with when we pray. It's by the group Citizens. So hear that again. As we're thinking, we're meditating upon the truth of applying God's word to our lives. The ultimate goal is for the world to know they're loved through sacrifice. For the church to leave the room and testify. For the streets to flow with justice, changing lives. And it's in Jesus' name that we come alive. And it's in Jesus' name. So the application, scriptures for application, go to James chapter 1, verse 22 through 25. And as you're turning there, I heard a phrase over the past couple of weeks. It was really... stood out to me. And it's not that Jesus came to change our actions, but he's come to change our nature. So many times we get lost in translation of what it means to be born again. If we would just do better or be good, then we're all right with God. And so a lot of people strive to break old habits. Well, listen, those apart from Christ can break old habits. What man puts their mind to, the Bible lets us know that he will achieve it. But man cannot put his mind to achieve salvation. (laughs) And so just because you may change your old habits or maybe you're not doing what you used to do that's nothing to boast in if your nature hasn't changed. You see, before you come to the understanding that God So love the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You see, in and of yourself, you wouldn't come to that understanding. 
and the impact of that truth, how it transforms people. People love religion. It makes them feel good. But people do not love God. And they don't want to have the understanding of being born again. Men and women and of themselves are not seeking truth. They're seeking something that ultimately they feel will complete them. So they find it in their own strength. They find it in their own doing. But listen, when the Pharisee came to Jesus, the well-scholared Pharisee, Nicodemus, who knew the word of God, but he came to God and said, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, you must be born again. And he was like, how can that be? And then Jesus explains it to him. You must be born of the Spirit. Because if you're not born of the Spirit, you're not saved. There's no hope for you. To be born of the Spirit not only, quote-unquote, changes your actions, but your nature changes. And you say, well, how do I know if my nature has changed? Are you still feasting off the junk and the attitudes and the habits that your old nature loved? That's the reality. And feasting off of it doesn't bother you. It doesn't bother you. to let your anger rule you, to let your selfishness rule you, to let your lust and all your desires rule you. But we'll rein it in when we get around Christians. See, this is the reality. Like death is coming. And death is coming to all of us. But those who have been born again of the Spirit of God, because God was pleased to do it in us, we're not afraid of death. For it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ living in me. I understand now that the temporalness of this world and all that used to define me is dead. It's all rubbish. I'm defined now by the new nature. And I've said over the years to you, how then now shall I live? If that is not what you're asking every single day because you're not ever going to be completely Perfected until you're with him, but until then you ought to be maturing. You know how your old nature would live. You understand that the old nature feasts off that which is nothing but death. 
And you ought to turn from it and run from it if you're born again. And you ought to seek God now for who He is and who you are. Who am I now? Who are you now if you've been born again? Are you living for God? Do you have a fear of God? Are you a testifying of God? Because if not, then I've been saying it for quite some time. Something is wrong with your Christianity. We were all moved to see everyone fall on their knees and pray with that football player. (sighs) Fell back. And the breath of life was taken from him. We were all moved. And as I've been meditating over that and watching that scene over and over and watching the response that everyone is, is, is moving in, I get chills to, the, to my very depths of my being and I go, but God, do we really understand what we just witnessed? Come on, brother. Do we really understand... What we just witnessed. Yet God again, in His sovereignty and His mercy, He reveals the need for Him on a national and international level to watch a perfectly healthy young man fall back with no breath in his body. And everyone falls to their knees and begins to pray. But you all, I say, God, help us. Help us. Because I'm sure when a lot of those people got up off their knees, they went right back to what they've been serving. They may have seen a need in that moment. They may have felt an emptiness and a depth within them of their mortality. Their, their, their death is approaching But they turned and they've gone back. Millions of people have watched and played this scene over and over. It has impacted their life. But they have not called on Jesus. They have not called on Jesus. Their hope is not in Jesus, their hope is in prayer. And that's happening a lot, and that's been happening a lot in the church circle, and in just the world. Anyone prays. But Jesus, you all. Jesus. I've watched people pray online. i watch clips people praying. And yes, it's a beautiful sight to see Prayer. But when prayer is lacking Jesus' name, 
I'm not moved. Because God's not moved. Like, do you remember God's people, the Israelites that we've been studying? They prayed. And they prayed. And they prayed. And they prayed. And God told them, I'm not even listening. Because you're really not searching for me. You see, God allowed, yet again, for a nation to see their need for God Almighty. And yet again, how has our nation changed? So this is the reality, you all. Of lacking in applying God's truth to our lives. You could be a hearer of the word over and over and over and over and over and over again. But if you're not applying it, you're not a doer. And you're not a Christian. This is the reality. You see, it's not about just changing your habits. It's about a new nature. How now then shall I live? God, you have been pleased to reveal yourself to me. I recognize that I am a sinner. I am complete rebellion towards you. But God, I humble myself before you. And I repent. I renounce. I turn away from it all and I turn to you, not in my own power, not in my own strength, because God, in and of myself, I have nothing but God. You are pleased to reveal yourself to me. (laughs) I belong to you, Lord. How now then shall I live? among my family, among my work associates, among different communities that you allow me in. Like today when you got up, what was your prayer for today? Of giving this day in which you have been given back to him. And he's entrusted us with today to be good stewards of everything. And so when we talk this year about application, listen, I'm not talking about religious works. I'm not try, I'm not talking to you to try to drum it up within yourself to change your bad behavior. The reality is is that I hope that we understand are you born again? And if you're not that it would drive you to your knees, not because of a man's word but because of the revelation of a holy God who says, I love you. I've made a way for you to be reconciled back to me through my son. And I've marked you and I've sealed you as my own. You belong to me. You're no longer in rebellion towards me. Know me. Live for me. Love me. 
with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, with all of your strength. Trust in me. See, there's things, and I love that one worship song that I played to open us up. There's things that you just got to walk away from. There's things that you have got to let go of. There are things that have been defining you for years. But listen, if you're comfortable feasting off of it, something is wrong. Something is wrong. Stop holding a form of religion and get on your face and cry out to a holy God. Understand what genuine repentance is. Understand what it means to be born again. Jesus himself says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? He tells us, if you put your hand to the plow and you look back, you're not fit for my kingdom. These are Jesus's words. See, you're not working for salvation. No, salvation is only obtained through Christ. But now there's work to do. Remember, three enemies. The enemy... (laughs) This unseen realm in which you cannot see. The world system. (laughs) And your very flesh, that old nature. Wants to devour you. But Christian, if you are a Christian, if you are a child of God, you must remember. That greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. And you better get up every day and understand what it means to work. You better get up every day and understand what it means, what spiritual warfare is. You better get up every day and understand that you're not to give an ounce of your time to your flesh, to the world system, or to the enemy. This world is not your home. In fact, Christian, if you're a true Christian, each day you're being pushed out more and more and more and more. Because that because they don't like you it's because they don't want Jesus they don't want Jesus they may think he's a good man or a prophet but they will not see him as God they may hold a form of religion slap his name on their buildings and on their religion We already understand that the wolves are among us. (laughs) So we're not putting our hope in men. We're not putting our hope in, in religion institutions. Our hope is only in Jesus and in Christ alone. So to apply these truths to your lives, you can't apply these truths if your nature hasn't been reborn. And if there's anything you walk away with today is that you seriously get before God and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you. Are you born again? Not do you hold a form of religion. Not that you do works or you go to church. But are you truly born again? truly, is your nature new? 
And if not, oh, how I pray that he will bring you to your knees and that you would truly know him as God. James chapter 2. James, I'm sorry, 1, verse 22 to 25. Scriptures to encourage you to persevere in applying the truth of God's word. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it is like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law, listen to this, that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. God will bless you for doing it. Listen, I keep telling you, you are purposed for today. You are purposed for this generation. God has prepared, the Bible tells us, good works for each of us to do. And he's prepared that even before we were born. He knows us intimately. He designed us. He formed us. He understood the condition in which we were going to be born into. This sinful, rebellious condition that says, no, you're not God. I'm God. And that's why Jesus says, I didn't come into the world to judge the world, but to save the world. Because the world already stands judged. See, people twist scripture and they say, well, Jesus said he didn't come to judge the world, he came to save. And so we just make it all about this weird Jesus that passes out hugs and muffins and oh, everyone, it's just all love and everyone's going to heaven. That's not the real Jesus. <laughs> yes, Jesus loves us. God loves us. But it's because of his love that he sent Jesus because God knows because of his love, Due to our rebellion, his wrath is being stored up to be unleashed on the earth. But because of his love, he sent Jesus to save us. Because the world already stands judged. God's wrath is coming. But come into Christ. You know, the story of Noah and the ark? It was a foreshadowing of Jesus. Jesus is the ark. Come on. You, you come into Christ. And you're saved. And you don't treat that lightly. It's what I'm saying. You can't keep trampling on his blood and making it so common and keep living however we want to live and do however we want to do. And it's just all about us. Make me comfortable. When you are behind enemy lines, and you are now, if you're born again, 
been given full access to the kingdom of God. You are an ambassador of his kingdom. You're to be his hands and his feet. You ought to leave the room and testify of his goodness, of his salvation to all. You are to be doers of the word, applying God's word. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Second Timothy chapter two, verse fifteen. <laughs> Work hard, and God, I hope you hear this all throughout the year, and I hope by the end of the year <laughs> you have seen what God has done through your life as you served Him and applied His truth to your life, as the Holy Spirit gives you the power to live it out. Remember, you're to walk in the Spirit so you don't gratify the desires of the flesh. If you're constantly gratifying the desires of the flesh, you're denying the Holy Spirit. You're you're pushing Him aside. That's God aside. And the Bible says you're not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Work hard, it says, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Be a good worker. Go to Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Colossians 3, chapter 16. I mean, chapter 3, verse 16. Let the message about who? Christ. So let the message about Christ in all of its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Let the message about who? Christ. About Jesus, you all. That this new nature in which we are living in. How are we to live now? How, what, the, what does the Bible say? We are to live as Jesus did. That's the word of God. That's not man's standard. That's not, that's not religion standard. But that's the word of God's standard. How are you to be living like Jesus did? So think about your week. Think about your morning. And it's not to keep you in bondage. Like, oh, I'm just a bad Christian. Remember, I told you that. If that's your attitude, if that's where you're like, oh, I can't can't measure up. I've got to leave the church. You're making it all about you. Instead of understanding that, that, that what you're sensing is the Holy Spirit saying, come to me, repent. What was Jesus' message? Repent. That hasn't changed. 
I know that the so-called church wants to change it, but that Jesus hasn't changed. We are called, we are called to call people to repentance. But like I've always told you, before you go out calling others, make sure you've called yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself daily. Recognize that in and of yourself you are a sinner. But if you've been born again, your identity has changed from a sinner to a child of God. And so when a child of God sins, they are quick to repent because they, ah, this isn't me anymore. And you turn from it. And you go a different direction. Instead of just flying off at your mouth, close your mouth. Instead of allowing thoughts just run rampant, take them captive. See, there's things you're to do. Like when that song says, he brought me out of the depth of darkness. I don't know about you. You have your own testimony of what God has brought you out from. And if he hasn't brought you out from, then would you get on your knees and cry out to him? <laughs> like again, my whole life I've been told how much God hated me. I was an abomination. <laughs> so I hated God. But yet then God was pleased to reveal himself to me and all of a sudden this holy God in whom I thought hated me my whole life is surrounding me with nothing but his love and he's drawing me to himself. But God, I'm filthy. But Rob, I'm holy. It's not about you any longer. You see, it's not about you any longer. It's about him. It's about him. I tried to fit him into my old life. <laughs> and every time I tried, I kept running into a wall. Because the old cannot mix with the new. <laughs> no, you are born again. I've tried to run from him. But the scripture rings loud in those seasons I've tried to run where can I go from his presence? I can't escape him. See, once you know the truth, and I've always told you, if you ever decide to go back, you have to look at the cross and say, it's not enough. But when you know God, when you understand his loving kindness that he loved you enough to reveal himself to you. Like, really? I've told you before that, that Jewish proverb where the, the disciple comes to the teacher. He's like, teacher, I want to know God. And the, the teacher was standing by the, the river and he takes the disciple and he holds the disciple down, head in the water, till he almost died of drowning. And then when he pulls the 
the student up, the disciple up. He says, what was your first thought? He says, I just wanted to breathe. And he says, well, then go and don't return until God is your first thought. Some of us have been shaken to our core. Some of us have dealt with the hardest life. (laughs) And we're searching for everything else to fix it. But see, only God, He not only fixes it, but He renews it. Like everything is new. And those who will seek Him will find him if they seek him with their whole heart. Propitiation, propitiation, I'm sorry, is the definition that we're going to learn this week. It's a definition of a major theological term. Propitiation. It'll be in the notes. And you say, oh, that's a big word. Maybe it's not a big word to some of you. But to some of you, it may be. But what does it mean? And why, as a Christian, do you need to understand it? Well, propitiation occurs when God's righteous wrath is appeased or turned aside by the death of His Son on the cross. And I love this other definition that I found. It's averting the wrath of God by offering a gift. And in and of yourself, you have no gift to bring. So God Himself provided the gift. Jesus. So it's averting the wrath of God by the offering of a gift. It refers to the turning away of the wrath of God as the just judgment of our sin by God's own provision of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Propitiation. It's beautiful. When you understand truly what what God has done, that in and of yourself, you can't bring a gift to God to, 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 to hold back His wrath. <laughs> but see, God knows that a gift was needed. And because of His love, He provided. He provided Jesus. Go to Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31 through 34. These are scriptures. Still walking you through this. (laughs) Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31 through 34. These are scriptures that I want you to meditate upon and get them and hide them in your heart of what God must do for a sinner to make him or her a Christian. You see, God has done all the work, you all. Jeremiah 31, verse 31 through 34. The prophet Jeremiah is speaking as the Lord gives him these words. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will be like the one I made. I'm sorry. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant. Though I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this new covenant, 
Speaking of Jesus, you all. <laughs> I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God. And you all should be able to finish the next sentence. And they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. So God has done through Christ, the hope of Christ, the newness of life, and the hope of eternal life in heaven... With God for eternity. For eternity. This is what God will do. I will put my instructions deep within them. And I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God. And they will be my people. I told you from the beginning. See, sometimes you make it this big, huge mystery. God's plan. <laughs> but the Bible is very clear. From Genesis to Revelation... God's plan to have a people that he will call his own and in return, they will call him their God. They will love him. They will live for him. They will be marked by him. They would be sealed until the day of redemption when they are brought up to him for our eternity. This is the good news. This is good news. This is what we're living out if we're a Christian. This is what we're sharing with others. This is how we're structuring our homes. This is how we're structuring our lives based on this truth. What truth? That Jesus is the Son of God and He rose from the dead. That's how you are to now structure the newness of this life that you've been given. Because you've been born again. Another scripture for you. Ezekiel chapter 36. The prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 through 27. Here's some good news for you. This is what I I don't know. God, I hope that you all are... are Awake spiritually to hear these words and that you take them and that you sit with them. I don't know what you do with what you're given on Sundays, but my prayer is, is that throughout the week you are feasting. And if you don't have a hunger and you're like, well, I, I, I'm not like everyone else. Stop looking at everyone else. But the reality is if you or don't have a hunger for the word of God, you better ask him for it. You have not because you've asked not. Instead of being like, I'm not like everyone else. Blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. Wake up. Wake up. Understand the level. This realm in which you cannot see is warring against your mind and your heart. The world system is warring against your mind and your heart. And that very nature is at war with your new nature, your old ways. In Galatians, it tells you the flesh and the spirit... They war against each other. It's not like a little slap in the face. We're talking all-out war. 
and you just want to get up and just kind of go through your day, Every new year. You know what I'm telling you? How many people I've talked with this year? So far, it's only been two weeks. Their love and, oh, I'm going to grow in Christ this year. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to make God number one. And oh, how I pray that's true. Oh, how I pray that's true. But I hear it constantly. Do they understand what they're saying? Like, I understand it because I consider the cost and I consider the cost daily. I encourage you all constantly when we're together what the Word of God says. Jesus says, oh, oh, consider the cost before you name me as the one you're following. Before you name me as the one that you're pursuing. Consider the cost because it's going to cost you everything. 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 And you say, come on, Rob. No, come on. I can't make this stuff up. This is, he has radically changed my life. He will radically change your life. Like, no, it's everything. It's not just little toe in, like, okay, Jesus. Like, consider the cost. Listen, he walked this earth knowing not everyone is going to love him. He came to this earth knowing that his beard would be ripped out of his face. His body would be shredded to where he wouldn't even be recognized any longer. He would take such a beating by the people who just praised him in the beginning of the week. And now they're yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And yet he hangs on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they're doing. The great love that is, it's, it's, it's just poured out through the life of Jesus. So oh, how I pray as people desire this year to walk closer to God that they understand that in and of themselves they will never walk close with God. But if they are born again, God will walk close with them and he, this new nature will come forth and they would have considered the cost of what it means to live holy. Holy, separate, taken out for the purpose of God. From the beginning to the end, that he will have a people, that he will call his own, and that they will call him their God. Listen, we don't have to be ashamed of our God. We don't have to just dilly-dally around people and, and try to throw the you know little bits of pieces of the gospel to them. No, give them the gospel as you give yourself the gospel. Listen, this is what God says, you all. This is the prophet's writing as he's instructed by the Holy Spirit that God is speaking to him. This is what God must do for a sinner to become a child of God. 
God's word. Sit on this this week. I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulation. This is what God does, you all. This is how he transforms <coughs> us. This is exciting. This is good news. He doesn't leave us on our own to say, figure it out, you wicked people. I hope you make it. No, he says, I've come for you. I've come for you. Just turn to me. It's as simple as that. It's childlike faith. Just believe. And the Bible says you will be born again of a new nature. You will receive the Holy Spirit, God in you. And when you feel, when you act ugly, when, when you step out, what you know you ought not to be stepping, touching, that you know you ought not to be touching, running at the mouth, that you ought not to be running, being selfish, just holding a form of religion, and yet not contributing, <laughs> repent. Stop doing it. It's as simple as that. Stop it. Get up from it and ask God to grow you and to mature you. Because that's why trials come, you all. They come to produce something within us. Perseverance and perseverance, character. And character, hope. And that hope is ultimately Christ. And that's why I love that other song I played for us today to set our tone God, if if you brought me to it and it's not moved, then I'll just sing hallelujah. (laughs) And that's all I have. I'll just say hallelujah. I'm trusting you, Lord. Like your dependence upon him. To say no, it is a new season. It is a new day. And God is for me. Some of y'all just need to remind yourself of that. And then humble yourself and repent and get up and get in the fight. The battle is ultimately his. But I love it when Ephesians tell us, after you've done all you know to do, then just stand. Stop exhausting yourself. Just stand and stand there for them. Suited up in the armor of God. Applying the truth of God. So these are scriptures again that I wanted to give you. Go to Titus, the last one. Titus chapter 3, verse 5 through 7. Again, what God must do in order to save us. 5 through 7 of Titus chapter 3. He saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. 
He washed away our sins. I, I can't share that enough with you all. We talked about it last year when we read Isaiah's account of him standing in the throne room of God. Oh, I'm doomed. And then God cleansed him. And then he says, when he hears, who shall we send? He cries out, here I am, Lord, send me. Some of us have got to get up from our immature ways, our our, our self-loathing, our weirdness that we do, and start understanding who he is and our new identity in him. Your sins, your guilt, your shame have been washed away. I mean, do you understand the level of darkness you live? And you say, well, I wasn't as dark as you. No, but you were still a sinner. We were all born into sin. You were in rebellion to God. No matter what your age is, if you have not come to Christ... You are in rebellion. It doesn't matter how good you think you are or how moral you think you are. You are a sinner if you're not in Christ. And so when you understand that when, when, you, when you humble yourself and when you see that God is pleased to reveal himself to you through his son Jesus, you humble yourself. Oh, I'm doomed. I see my nature. I'm your enemy. Have you seen yourself as his enemy yet? Because if not, you're not saved. (laughs) But you have to understand what your sinful nature, this nature that you were born into, like you are at war with God. You are his enemy. You deserve his wrath, not because he's a bad God, no, because he's a just God. But when you come into Christ, when you have repented, when you've turned from this old nature and you are born again of this new nature, you are cleansed. You are whole. Nothing missing, nothing broken. But you have to understand how you grow in that understanding, just how you grew in your sinful nature, just how you got up and went about your day before you came to Christ. You did things. You sought after things. You gave in to all the desires. So just as you worked hard for that, you work hard now to understand the newness of life in which you've been given. So I love the term of, of he's washed away our sins, giving us a new birth, a new life through the Holy Spirit. Some of you are still living the old life and you're making a mockery of God. Could you imagine if you came to church today and I was hungover because I just came shacking up with 12 men at the bar? Oh. And then I want to stand here and preach the word of God to you. Hopefully you wouldn't sit here. Oh, you'd be like, what? 
or if your foul mouth and, and, and your old nature runs you constantly. And yet you want to go, praise the Lord. <laughs> praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Yes, won't hit won't he do? Yes, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Yes, God is good. Oh, yes. And I'll come to church and I'll do my stuff. And yet your old life is what consumes you. Something is wrong. Warning, warning, warning. The wrath of God is coming. And yet again, he is pleased for you to hear the word of God, for you to respond not to the man of God, but to him. But to him. Because you're going to have to give an account to him. Because you're making a mockery of him in front of everyone. In front of everyone else. In front of everyone else. They see how you live. And you talk about your God. He's no God to you or to them. But you're making a mockery and you're keeping them from God. Come on, we got to wake up, y'all. Listen to what it says. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. This isn't when we're in heaven. This is here and now. This is here and now. The newness is now. We just carry it over into heaven. The newness is now. You're the people of God now if you're in Christ. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Oh, listen to this. Because of His grace, He declared us righteous. He declared us righteous. That was a term you learned a while ago. You're in right standing with God, not because of anything you've done, but because of what Jesus has has accomplished. So you were declared righteous. You were in right standing with God if you are a, a child of God. You're not His enemy any longer. You're in right standing with him. I can't tell you the freedom that comes from that, you all. Even in my worst days. The freedom that comes to be able to say, oh God, thank you for pointing out the errors of this day. Because of your love, strengthen me, God. I may not go back and feast off that. There's a way in which you live. Because he, because of his grace, he declared us righteous. And listen to this last part. I don't know who's excited about this today, but I am. And gave us what? Confidence that we will inherit eternal life. You can't take it away from me. I can't take it away from myself. But I have the confidence, not because of me, not because of my church attendance, not because I do good things. No, no, no. Because of Christ. Because of Christ. Because all because of Christ, you all. Scriptures. That I'm hoping you'll go back and read through, meditate on, and, and, and understand how to apply them. Maybe you say, well, I don't know what this is. Then Connect. Be genuine in seeking for truth. How do you, I take what I'm hearing and allow it to, to, to be applied to my life so I live differently in a wicked and perverse world? 
You see, I understand that the word of God tells me all the way back in Genesis that sin crouches at my door. And it's not your front door, it's this door to your heart. And its desire is to master you. This is the word of God. But you must master it. It's a war. The realm in which you cannot see. The world system. And this flesh. But you can get up every day. Hold your head up. And walk. Upright. Amongst a wicked and perverse generation. You don't have to be tainted by it. You don't have to look and go, oh, that looks a little bit better. No, you already know it's not better. And there's a way in which you go. And hopefully, you're testifying to others. And they're seeing a difference going, there's something different about you. I'm a new creation. I give God the glory when I see people of my past. And they always go, you're not even who you were. Your mannerisms are different. You, you, something happened. You can't make this up. In and of myself, I know where I would be. But in Christ, why would I go back to being who I was? No, there's a level of freedom. I'm not living for the temporalness of this world or for my temporal desires. Or living out of my pain and my hurt. You know what they've done to me. Who cares? You're in Christ. You're a new creation. Let it go. Play the song from Frozen. Let it go. Let it go. You just got to lay it down. Stop being a wounded individual. I'm sick of it. I'm tired of all the chaos. Yes, are you going to go through seasons... Yes, but you're going through. We got to wake up. Time is ticking. Things are happening quickly. This realm, this system, it's preparing for the Antichrist. The stage is being set. But we... The church, we're preparing. Our lamps are filled. We're preparing for the bridegroom. He's coming. And we ought to be excited. We got to get up. Lest you end up like the ones laying there waiting for him and your lamp isn't filled. And then you want to come pounding on the door once he closes it. And he says, I don't know you. Like, I don't know you. Unless you stand before him on the day of judgment and say in here, depart from me, you worker of sin, you worker of iniquity. I don't know you. And you can rattle off all you've done. Well, I gave to the church. I did this in your name and I did that in your name. Well, his reply is still the same. I don't know you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Well, that's a bad God. No, no, no. No, no, no. God isn't bad. (laughs) There's no error in God. 
Because he's made a way, you all. And that we would hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. The Heidelberg Catechism, yet another tool. Part three, we're still on the Ten Commandments. Lord's Day 39. One question. What is God's will for you in the fifth commandment? Here's your answer. That I honor, love, and be loyal to my father and mother and all those in authority over me. That I submit myself with proper obedience to all their good teaching and discipline. And also that I be patient with their failings. For through them, God chooses to rule us. Authority, you all. First in the home. And then the authority that is set over us. And we better stop it because we're a people and a generation that is in complete rebellion to authority. Look how homes are being just stripped apart. Look how people in authority are looked upon. (laughs) Be careful before you go to curse your boss. Be careful before you go and you do something. You better submit. And trust God. And to serve. Not the wicked boss. But the holy God. Scripture's there for you. To take. Again, you all get so much. Each every Sunday. You ought to take it and sit down with it. We're going to walk through scripture. We're starting a new book today. First Chronicles. I've read through Chronicles before, but man, I'm telling you this week, I'm in love with the book of Chronicles. I'm like, how could I have never seen this before? And I was, as I was studying and reading up, these two books are the least favorite books among Christians. Because, oh, it's all these names. It's all these names. It's all these names. And we've already read the majority of it when we went through Samuel and Kings. So why is why go through it all again? Why do I need, need to read the book of Chronicles? Oh. Wake up. Shake yourself. Stand up if you have to. Sit back down. Pay attention. The author of the book of 1 Chronicles does not specifically name its author. But tradition says that these two books were written by Ezra, the prophet. The dating, the date of writing the book of 1 Chronicles was likely between 450 and 425 B.C. And so what's the purpose? The book of 1 and 2 Chronicles cover mostly the same information as 1 and 2 Samuel and 1st and 2nd Kings. Perhaps the biggest distinction is that 1st and 2nd Chronicle focuses more on the priestly aspect of the time period. The book of 1st Chronicles was written after, this is important, the exile to help those returning to Israel understand how to worship God. The history focuses on the southern kingdom, the tribes of Judah, Benjamin, and Levi. These tribes tended to be more faithful to God. So I don't want you to miss this. Listen, we left off with them being captured, taken into captivity, 
And now we're opening up a book where they're being brought back from captivity. But this time, there's no temple and there's no palace. Their identity of being God's people isn't set before them. They know that they're God's people. They hear that they're God's people. But what do we do? Everything around us is telling us there is no God. Yet we're told there's God and we are his people, but everything, our circumstances, look out of control. Everything has been removed. Key verses. First Chronicles chapter 11, verse 1 through 2. All of Israel came together to David at Hebron and said, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, even while Saul was king, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaign. And the Lord said to you, You will shepherd my people Israel, and you will become their ruler. Another verse, 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 13. David said to God, I'm in deep distress. Let me fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is very great. But do not let me fall into the hands of men. And then 1 Chronicles 29, verse 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatest and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. And so a brief summary. The first nine chapters of 1 Chronicles are dedicated to the list and genealogies. Further list and genealogies are scattered throughout the rest of 1 Chronicles. In between, the book of 1 Chronicles records David's ascension to the throne and his actions thereafter. The book concludes with David's son Solomon becoming king of Israel, briefly outlined. The book of 1 Chronicles is as follows. Chapters 1 through 9 is a selective genealogies. Chapter 9 through 12 is David's ascent to the throne. And then finally, chapters 13 to 20 is David's reign. And you say again, we've, if you've studied Samuel, 1 Second Samuel and Kings, you go... Why do we need this again? Oh, because you need to remember who was it written to. And then as you think upon them, think upon yourself and your family. How are these people going to be reminded of who their God is? By hearing. If it was Ezra who wrote this, Ezra or whoever wrote it was inspired by the Holy Spirit to lay again the foundation And you may be bored with hearing it, but when you hear these these lists, you better remember God's plan. What was God's plan? The Messiah would come. And what lineage would the Messiah come? Through David and all those before David. And he's reminding his people, as we'll see when we open up this book today, takes them all the way back to Adam. Lest they forget, this is the God of creation, whom you belong to. 
And so as you're listening to this history, it's just not for them, it's yours. It is a reminder of how great our God is, how faithful He is to what He has planned and to what He has purposed. All the way through, and so the baby cried in the manger. Generations hoped for the Messiah. Well, the Messiah has already come. He has fulfilled all that was purposed of him. That's why he was able to cry out in the midst of his agony. It is finished. And now we, the church, under the new covenant, have the glorious opportunity to go forth and to tell others of the risen king. Of the God who loves us so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus. And you can tie him all the way back to Adam. Come on, you all know your God. Oh, I said, Lord. So these foreshadowings that you're going to see. And David's song of thanksgiving to God in 1 Chronicles 16.33, he refers to the time when God will come to judge the earth. This foreshadows Matthew 25, in which Jesus describes the time when he will come to judge the earth through the parables of the ten virgins and the talents. He warns that those who are found without the blood of Christ covering their sins will be cast into outer darkness. He encourages his people to be ready because when he comes, he will separate the sheep from the goats and the judgment. And you say, but Rob, can't you just give us an encouraging messages, message on how my week is going to be blessed? <laughs> I am. I'm giving you the word of God. Do you understand? Prophecy has been fulfilled. The Old Testament points to everything. To Jesus. This is good news. I'm bored. It's too much. Wake up. Wake up. Know your God. Love your God. Part of the Davidic covenant with God reiterates in chapter 17, refers to the future Messiah who would be a descendant of David. Verses 13 to 14 describes the son who will be established in God's house and whose throne will be established forever. This can only refer to Jesus Christ. So practical application. Apply. What are you going to apply as you're hearing all these genealogies and everything about David and all this good stuff we're about to dive into? Well, genealogies such as the ones in First Chronicle may seem dry to us, but they remind us that God knows each of his children personally, even down to the number of hairs on our heads. We can take comfort in the fact that who we are and what we do is written forever in God's mind. If we belong to Christ, our names are written forever, my God, and the Lamb's book of life. God is faithful to his people, and he keeps his promises. In the book of 1 Chronicles, we see the fulfillment of God's promise to David when he is made king over all of Israel. We can be sure that his promises to us will be fulfilled as well. He has promised blessings to those who follow him, who come to Christ in repentance and who obey his word. 
Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings judgment. The book of 1 Chronicles as well as 1 and 2 Samuel and 1 and 2 Kings is a chronicle of the pattern, listen to this, of sin, repentance, forgiveness, and restoration of the nation of Israel. In the same way, God is patient with us and forgives our sins when we come to him in true repentance. We can take comfort in the fact that he hears our prayer of sorrow, forgives our sin, restores us to fellowship with him, and sets us on a path of joy. And that's a commentary from gotquestions.org. But I said, God, that's not enough. Or would you just open up and just study? I just got a little bit more. Another commentary I want to read to you. And then we're going to hear it. This is from the Bill Bright Study Bible. So what's the purpose of First Chronicles? Ha! To direct the obedience of God's people as they return from captivity to ba- in Babylon. The writer, oh, perk up, hear this. Pierced together the most important thing his audience needed to hear. You want to know what that is? Are you ready for this? Are you awake? You are God's chosen people. This is what the writer, inspired by the Holy Spirit, has put together. He's reminding them of their identity. And oh, how we need to be reminded in our generation, you are God's chosen people. And as the readers who had recently returned from captivity in Babylon accepted the responsibility of being the continuation of the people of God. When you come to Christ, you take upon that as well. The continuation of what God has planned and purposed since he spoke in the earth formed. That he would have a people that belonged to him. They could then read and understand the following history in 1 Chronicles 10 through the end of 2 Chronicles as their history, their story, a preamble to a new beginning of covenant faithfulness. And that's why the church needs to be reminded. Because this is where it all began. This is is our great God moving. (laughs) Bringing about his purpose. So how are you going to grow through 1 Chronicles? Well, it presents lessons in overcoming adversity and standing firm when things have fallen apart around you. So you're going to learn to walk by faith. Don't doubt in the darkness what God has revealed in the light. Oh, don't let that just go in and out. Listen to that. Don't doubt in darkness, no matter what circumstances comes to you this new year or comes an hour from now. Don't doubt in darkness what God has revealed in the light. They needed to cling to the promises of God about the lineage of David and the permanence of Israel's place in God's sight. We walk by faith the same way in reliance on the promises of God. Another way you'll grow is the findability of God. Hebrews 16 verse, I'm sorry, Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, Anyone who wants to come to God must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Jesus said that wanting to know the will of God is in the first step of discovering it. And David told Solomon, if you would seek God, he will find him. Solomon was at a place in his life where he definitely needed God's help. 
it is good to know God does not hide himself from his people. And then finally, status and stewardship. Your identity. (laughs) David saw his status as just passing through. This earth was not his permanent home. As such, he was the owner of nothing. O Lord our God, even this material we have gathered to build a temple to honor your holy name comes from you. It all belongs to you. David's title and treasure were temporary, but his hope in God was permanent. So let's listen now, Carrie, if you would, to First Chronicles and make sure you stop it at chapter 2, verse 17. Pay attention. You say, why aren't you reading it? Because I will butcher all of these names and I refuse to do that. So pay attention. Hear these names. Starting with Adam, here we go. God's promises. First Chronicles, if you want to follow along, chapter 1 through chapter 2, verse 17 is where we're going to stop. of Jonathan. So this is the family 
son of Ethan was Azariah. From Judah's grandson, Hezron, to David. Mm. The sons of Hezron were Jeremiel, Ram, and Caleb. Ram was the father of Amminadab. Amminadab was the father of Nashon, a leader of Judah. Nashon was the father of Solomon. Solomon was the father of Boaz. Boaz was the father of Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse's first son was Eliab. His second was Abinadab. His third was Shimei. His fourth was Nethanel. His fifth was Radai. His sixth was Azam. And his seventh was David. Their sisters were named Zuriah and Abigail. Zuriah had three sons named Abishai, Joab, and Asael. Abigail married a man named Jether, an Ishmaelite, and they had a son named Amasa. And that's where we'll stop today in the genealogy. But I do pray that you are excited to read through First Chronicles. Remember that it's not man writing it, in a sense, from man's knowledge, but it's word inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to capture all that God has purposed and planned to lead up to David's reign that ultimately King Jesus would come through you all. So this is the good news. Our God is faithful and our God is good to what he has established. Go to Acts chapter 23. We're picking back up in Acts chapter 23. Verse 11 through 35 is where we're heading today. That night the Lord appeared to Paul and said, Be encouraged, Paul. Just as you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. Chapter 3, verse 12. The next morning, a group of Jews got together and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 of them in the conspiracy. They went to the leading priests and elders and told them, We have bound ourselves with an oath to eat nothing until we have killed Paul. So you and the high council should ask the commander to bring Paul back to the council again. Pretend you want to examine his case more fully. We will kill him on the way. But Paul's nephew, his his sister's son, heard of their plan and went to the fortress and told Paul. Paul called for one of the Roman officers and said, Take this young man to the commander. He has something important to tell them. So the officer did, exclaiming, Paul the prisoner called me over and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took his hand, led him aside, and asked, What is it you want to tell me? Paul's nephew told him, Some Jews are going to ask you to bring Paul before the high council tomorrow, pretending they want to get some more information. But don't do it. There are more than 40 men hiding along the way, ready to ambush him. They have vowed not to eat or drink anything until they have killed him. They are ready now, just waiting for your consent. Don't let anyone know you told me this, the commander warned the young man. Then the commander called two of his officers in order to get 200 soldiers ready to leave for Caesarea at 9 o'clock tonight. Also take 200 spearmen and 70 mounted troops. Provide horses for Paul to ride and get him safely to Governor Felix. Then he wrote this letter to the governor. From Claudius Lysias to His Excellency Governor Felix, greetings. 
This man was seized by the Jews, and they were about to kill him when I arrived with the troops. When I learned he was a Roman citizen, I removed him to safety. Then I took him to their high council to try to learn the basis of their accusations against him. I soon discovered the charge was something regarding the religious law, certainly nothing worthy of imprisonment or death. But when I was informed of a plot to kill him, I immediately sent him on to you. I told him his accusers to, I'm sorry, I have told his accusers to bring their charges before you. So that night, as ordered, the soldiers took Paul as far as to Antipas and Antipatris. They returned to the fortress the next morning, while they while the mounted troops took him on to Caesarea. When they arrived in Caesarea, they presented Paul and the letter to Governor Felix. He read it and then asked Paul, "What province was he from?" So my goodness, Cecilia. Yes, Cecilia. Paul answered. I will hear your case myself when your accusers arrive, the governor told him. Then the governor ordered him kept in prison at Herod's headquarters. This is Paul. Remember, these Jews want him dead. He's in the way. Just like any Christ follower is in the way of a religious order, of the world system, like we're not going to fit in. But that's okay. God all along, though they, these men have plotted, God's purpose will come about. Because God is good, you all. God knows exactly what he's doing in the life of Paul. And so as you read this, you can take it as comfort that just as much that he knows Paul, he knows you. Go to Psalm 3. The book of Psalms encourages you to look up. Psalm 3, it's a time when David fled from his son Absalom. And this is what he pins. O Lord, I have so many enemies. So many are against me. So many are saying God will never rescue him. But you, O Lord, are a shield around me. You are my glory. The one who holds my head high. I cried out to the Lord. And he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept. And yet I woke in safely. I woke up in safety. For the Lord was watching over me. Some of us just need to highlight that verse. Verse 5. This is a chaotic situation in David's life. And yet he says, I lay down and slept. And I woke up in safety, for the Lord was watching over me. I'm not afraid of 10,000 enemies who surround me on every side. Arise, O Lord, rescue me, my God. Slap all my enemies in the face. Shatter the teeth of the wicked. Victory comes from you, O Lord. May you bless your people. He knows his God. And I love that imagery there, like slap all my enemies in the face. So I wanted to like really hone in on that this week. And it's amazing that if when you slap someone in the face, especially back in those days, it was not it was a sign not only of humiliation, but you are to submit to the one who has slapped you. 
And so I love the fact that David writes, slap all my enemies in the face to humiliate them and to make them surrender and submit to you, Lord. Amen. Go to Proverbs ending. Proverbs 18, verse 14 through 15. Two nuggets of wisdom. Proverbs 18, verse 14 through 15. Oh, this is good. The human spirit can endure a sick body, but who can bear a crushed spirit? Intelligent people are always ready to learn. Their ears are open for knowledge. There is a way in which we are called to live, you all, and it is to bring glory to our God. We're going to have communion today. Yvette, would you mind come and pass out the elements? And I would just encourage you as you hold these elements, you allow these words of the song to be played over you to encourage you um, to really just allow the Holy Spirit um, to, to bring conviction. You take this to do it in remembrance of Jesus. So you don't want to take it when you know you have active sin in your life and, and you're apart from Christ. No, you want to be whole. You want to be right with God. And so as the Spirit of God leads, use this time to, to repent, to confess your sins, and to be restored to God. And if you're not a believer, and you're not ready to become a believer, then I would encourage you not to take um, the elements. But allow these words to encourage you. Every morning, this prayer I'll 
God, would you pray over the bread? Lord, as we come together this day, Jesus, thank you. In doing this in remembrance of you, may we take a moment to mm. search ourselves, mm. to think before we take that your body was broken for us in the civilization of this bread. May we be broken for you. So as we take this bread, Lord, bless us. Take the bread. Gilda, would you pray over the cup? Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for the sacrifice of your son, Lord God. Thank you for the blood that has washed us clean. We thank you for the blood that has given us the confidence to know that we are in you. May we not take this lightly. May we remember the price that was paid, Lord God. We love you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Take the cup. We do it in remembrance of him. I'm going to close us out with this song of worship, and then I'll close us in prayer. Thank you.
Oh, yeah.